Transformation from the album It's About Time from The Tomorrow Men opens up episode 105 of Monster Kid Radio. That song appears with the permission of The Tomorrow Men, and you are listening to this show with my permission. I am your host, writer-producer Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to the podcast that celebrates the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And this time around, we got a classic. We've got a classic comedy duo lined up, and I'm not talking about myself and special guest Joe Stuber. I'm talking about Abbott and Costello. Okay, and I'm talking a little bit about Joe Stuber because he's the Abbott and Costello expert, the returning guest here on Monster Kid Radio to talk about Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Now, we've been doing the Abbott and Costello movies in order, in sequence, at least the Abbott and Costello meet the monster movies in order here on Monster Kid Radio. This is the third time the two of them got together with at least one monster. Now, we did Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and Abbott and Costello meet the killer Boris Karloff. Now we're on to The Invisible Man and it's still a universal monster movie. It's got some connections to the classic universal cycle and we'll talk about that when I have Joe here on the show. Now, Joe's voice might be familiar. If you haven't listened to previous episodes of Monster Kid Radio with him on it, you might know him from the IndieCast where he does a segment about the further adventures of our favorite archaeologist with his partner Keith Voss. You might also know him from the Comic Book Central podcast. Well, I'm stoked that we were able to make some time on both of our parts to talk about this movie here on Monster Kid Radio. We're going to talk a little bit about the setup, what went into the behind the scenes of getting this movie going, and just a lot of the pieces. Before they start moving, we got to know what the pieces are, what the pieces are doing, the people, the plot, the characters, the setups. We got to know about that, and that's what we're going to talk about in episode 105. And 106, we're going to talk about the story of the movie and really get into to the finale specifically because, well, it's just fascinating. But before we get to that, I want to give you an update on one of the bands that's appeared here on Monster Kid Radio in the past. I'm referring to the band King Ghidra. Just recently on their Facebook page, they started teasing some new songs, some new albums in the works. Well, head over to ReverbNation.com, King Ghidra Rock, or follow the link in the show notes, or follow the link in the bands section of the website. Just click on the band's songs button, and you'll find a list of every band that's appeared here on the show. You can find King Ghidra over there as well. They've released two new songs on the Reverb Nation page. One's called Pacific City. The other one's Curse of Poseidon. They're both really cool, and I'm sure we're going to hear those on Monster Kid Radio down the line. Now, there's another band that has not appeared here on the show yet, but they will within the next few weeks. The band is Aloha Screwdriver, and I wanted to let everybody know that if you are in the San Francisco area, they have a show coming up with Southern Culture on the Skids on June 26th. It's happening at the Great American Music Hall. You can find out more about them over at alohascrewdriver.com. All right, I'm eager. I'm itching. I want to get Joe Stuber on the show. I want to get back with the boys, and I'm talking about Abbott and Costello. So why don't we go ahead and just get to that right after this? Tune in each fortnight to the IndyCast, the world's number one Indiana Jones fan podcast. Trust me. Featuring the latest news, reviews, and interviews with on-screen and behind-the-scenes talent who help bring to life the greatest adventure movie series ever made. Each episode has the latest from the world of Indiana Jones, as well as interactive segments, trivia, contests, and specials, including radio dramas and music retrospectives. The IndyCast. It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. Available in iTunes or listen directly at theindycast.com. If adventure has a name, it must be The IndyCast. It's 1966. The space race is on. 
The Cold War is heating up, and giant monsters are destroying Japan. Daikaiju Attack, from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Now available in all ebook formats on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive Through Fiction, and other quality outlets. Find more info at daikaijuattack.com, sdsullivan.com, and the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. Give me that invisible stuff again. Honest. And there were footsteps with no feet. And a grip that was unpacking itself. All right, boys, let's go. <laughs> They're private eyes, they are. And they're tickled to death, as you may be, that their first job is a murder case. Only a man they can't see is driving them to distraction. I said pull over to the... A blonde is trying to booby-trap them. And the syndicate is trying to set them up for a quick one-two. <laughs> Buddy, you know I'm no fighter. Oh, what's the difference? Look, watch this. My uncle is worried, too, about the... About the effect of the drug on my mind? Invisibility gives me a sense of power. For good or for evil. Neither of you get a chance to tell the cops anything. Well, look, now, let's talk this thing over. Let's go. All right, listen up. Chest out, stomach in. The boys are back. And when I say the boys, I'm not just referring to Abbott and Costello. I'm referring to myself and special guest, Joe Stuber. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, Joe. Hey, hey, it has been a while. Man, I missed you. I missed you, buddy. I missed you, and I missed Abbott and Costello. We have been oh, yeah. going through their films here on Monster Kid Radio, but we've only done the first two of the meetup, the monster meetup movies. Yeah, and even the second one was, I mean, we, we throw that in there because it's got all the, the classic tropes of the Abbott and Costello meet the monsters but and Boris Karloff, but it was more of a murder mystery. This one, we, we get a little more universal monster-ish with it. Well, it started life as a straight-up Universal Invisible Man franchise. My understanding is that Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man started as an actual installment in the Invisible Man series. Correct. Basically, the writers, I believe they were writing a straight-up sequel to Invisible Man's Revenge. They were coming out of that. It was, it was going to be, what, Invisible Man Strikes Back? I believe it was going to be called. And the screenwriters, they actually wrote The Invisible Woman. So there's there's a bunch of invisible movies. True. But they, this became sort of a mashup of one that was there and one that they were originally writing, and it borrowed some gags from some other ones. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely in the Invisible series. Yeah, I mean, and not just because it began life as a script for that series, but we actually even have a reference 
to the very first Invisible Man. Now, a while oh, back, yeah. <laughs> we, we did an episode here on Monster Kid Radio where I wasn't feeling too well, and a lot of former guests contributed some content for the show, and you called in, and, and you made a comment. You challenged the listeners to try to find something in this movie. <laughs> it's that been a, a while. Throwback. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me, of the, I think it was the, the picture thing, right? Right, yeah, you yeah, were yeah. referring to something that appeared in this film that also appeared in like the original Invisible Man, and we see a picture of Claude Rains as... Dr. Griffin, he's called John Griffin in this film. In The Invisible yeah. Man, he's called Jack, but I mean, close enough. We got Claude Rains making an appearance in here, and it ties this film directly into that film's continuity. Yeah, it's the character. I mean, how cool is that? And it it's kind of starts off as like, it's in the background, you're like, wait, is that is that Claude Rains? You got, and then the, then the character references him and, and ties that character in and says, you know, he left me the serum, and it's like, okay, this is set in that universe. It's it like, okay, here is. we go. Yeah, the Invisible Man franchise does kind of get a little loose in its continuity <laughs> yeah, uh, as it goes along with the Invisible Agent and all that. But no, it's uh -oh. no different than like the Mummy films that Universal did or even uh, some of the House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula's got some weird wonky continuity stuff going on. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, I'm going to call this a Universal Monster movie and not just because it's put out by Universal, but it is tied into that Universal franchise. Good enough for me. Yeah, we have that scene. It directly ties it in too. So, and it's uh, and actually, when we go back to what started, you know, the Abbott Costello on Monster Kid Radio with Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, we've got that cool little cameo in at the very end. Yes, with yeah. Invisible Man returns, Invisible Man, Vincent Price. So you kind of threw that in there, and you're like, oh, it'd be cool if Vincent Price came back as the Invisible Man. Uh, he doesn't, but we get that dropped in there. Uh, but it's kind of cool that there's a nice little peripheral tie in there as well <laughs> exactly. to, the, to the universe. Now, the Invisible Man in this one is played by Arthur Franz, who I've seen in other movies like Monster on Campus and things like that. So he's done some other monster films, Invaders from Mars. He's our invisible character in this movie, and he's not a scientist. He's not a secret agent. He's not the Invisible Man's son. He's a boxer. He's a boxer. <laughs> That's right. You drop that in, and then you're obviously setting up for the big showdown at the end. Which, as we'll talk about, obviously ties in with Lou Costello's background. So, yeah, it, it does make a nice little setup for this particular adventure. Oh, that's right. I had completely forgotten. See, this is why I need to have you on the show more often. I had completely <laughs> forgotten about, you know, we're going to get to that. We'll, we'll call that a tease. We'll get to that. Lou King. Just that's saying. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Lou King until his dad found out. <laughs> <laughs> well, this movie is unique in the series, at least so far. In that Lou and Bud play characters called Lou and Bud. Yes, I don't have to remember their names this time. <laughs> no, no chick, none of this chick, chick, chick. chick, 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 chick as much fun as that is. <laughs> and it is fun. We've got Lou and Bud, and they start the movie having graduated from private investigative school. They are now detectives. Yeah, they are. And what what else is cool about that is they get to use their real names. So it's Lou Francis, which is Lou Francis Cristillo. He became Costello, but that's his middle name. And Bud William Alexander, Bud Abbott, Bud Alexander. So they got to use their actual names and their middle names. So, yeah, it's them. It, it makes it real easy years later for podcasters to talk about them. Not yep. where I get, not getting Lou. their names wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're graduating. And I, I love right off the bat. I mean, it's like the opening frame. You've got Lou tripping over himself already is they're you know heading down to graduate lou breaks the fourth wall like almost immediately which is cool i mean you know he's gonna do it eventually and then also it's like hey how did i graduate and and bud's like i slipped the instructor 20 bucks <laughs> so kind of graduated from detective school kind of graduated. well he gets a diploma he does that's all the important thing yeah 
Yep. And they immediately get a job working for it. So McQuinlan, is that the name of the detective McQu- agency? Yeah, the McQuinlan Detective Agency, yeah, and, and Lou goes in full Sherlock Holmes mode. <laughs> oh, the Deerstalker cap, pipe, the everything, yeah. He's like very. He's taking his detecting very seriously. Very seriously, and Bud's chastising him. You know, as detectives, as private eyes, we've got to blend in. We can't stand out. Right. But, I mean, come on. You got to have Lou and the Deer Stalker. It just looks right. It feels right. Yeah, and you know what's funny about that is Bud doing that kind of sets it up. The joke as it goes on. It's a, a subtle joke, but Lou's actually the better detective of the two. Bud never seems to know what's going on. He's always distracted. He's not getting what's going on. Lou's always the one figuring things out. So, yeah, he's taking it seriously. He's got the Sherlock Holmes things on. But he – I don't think – you know, why did Bud have to slip him 20 bucks? Lou seems pretty good at detecting. As good as somebody who mistakes or tries to use a magnifying glass as a lollipop? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. But, no, you're absolutely <laughs> – well, I was going to bring that up. still Lou. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. you got to have a little bit of that. I was going to bring that up, though. You're right. Lou's the one who figures it out. When we do meet the invisible or the soon-to-be invisible boxer, Lou's the one who figures out who he is. Bud has no idea. Bud's like, oh, we got a job, you know, and he's just very, I don't know if it's a a tunnel vision kind of thing. He just isn't able to pay attention to what's going on around him. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic. I wouldn't have expected that. I like when they change things up a little bit because you've got all these different things, you know. Bud gets his coming to him in this one, too, because there's scenes where, you know, he's picking on Lou, which is what we're used to. But then Tommy, uh, Tommy Nelson, the boxer who eventually becomes a invisible man, you know, he's like giving it to Bud, you know, kicking him in a butt and stuff like that. It's almost like that movie I mentioned, The Time of Their Lives, when Lou gets one over on Bud. Well, you, you like that. You like it when they go off of the template a little bit. And I like that. And Lou, yeah, in the background, Lou's figuring everything out while Bud's in the foreground trying to just, you know, figure out how to get another client. <laughs> they go off template and for all the abuse, and it's good-natured abuse, but for all the abuse that Bud lays on Lou over the years, not just in this series of films, but in everything, it's nice to see Bud get it every once in a while. It is. And, you know, behind you know, the scenes, there's, you know, when I was doing some research on this, too, is like, I, I forget when the comment was made, but I guess at this point in their career, uh, we talked about this before, they they were, you know, huge, and then, you know, kind of fell off a little bit, and then Frankenstein brought them back, this roller coaster of their career. But they're always kind of like antagonistic toward each other on some level behind the scenes as well. And I think there was a point where, you know, I think Lou mentioned or Bud had mentioned, you know, if I if Lou ever slapped him for real, because like some of the slaps in the movies were, were getting harder, you know, that Bud was giving and Lou's like, okay, but, you know, for the comedic effect. Mm-hmm. But I think they, one of them had said, or a family member had said, you know, if Lou ever did that to Bud in real life, the career would be over. And it's like, that's what it was. That's That was the dynamic between the two of them. You know, Lou would always take the abuse because that was the joke, and I think that's what worked for them for so long. It was the act, and it definitely yeah. was the character, regardless of what film they were in. That was the character. Yeah. And despite all that, though, you can still see the chemistry and the genuine affection they have for each other as they're going through this adventure with this yeah. boxer and this invisible man and the mob. Are they mob mobsters? I don't know. They're fixing fights. They're you know? fixing fights. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's you know the the great Sheldon Leonard. Sheldon Leonard. You know, he, you know, you've seen him in uh, It's a Wonderful Life and uh, so many different projects. And yeah, he's great. He was in uh, Hit the Ice too as the heavy. So he was one of the the favorite Evan Costello heavies as he comes in here. Another character in this or another actor in this that caught my attention, William Frawley. Yeah. Now, is this the first time or the only time he'd worked with Evan Costello? He was in uh, One Night in the Tropics, their okay. very first picture. Yep, he was in that. And, of course, we know him as. Well, I know him as a couple of different things, but I th- the most immediately recognizable is from the Lucille Ball show. I mean, he yeah. played Fred. 
He was on I Love Lucy. That's right. Mm-hmm. Next door neighbor, Fred. Fred Nethel Mertz. <laughs> uh, I also knew him from My Three Sons, but every time I talk about that, I get the theme song from that show stuck in my head. So the less it's I'm in about my that, head better. now. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah. He was Bob, right? Uh, yes. Before Uncle yes, Charlie? He yes, he was. Him before Uncle Charlie? Yeah, yes, so yes he was. Cool. And I haven't been able to confirm. I don't know if you have or not, but um, Wikipedia lists James Best. Uh, we know as Roscoe P. Coltrane. Uh, they list him as Franz Stand-In uh, as the Invisible Man. But I haven't been able to confirm that in any of the books or anything I've read. So I don't know if you – I mean it's kind of a, an interesting thing if it was. But it's not on his IMDb page. It's not anywhere. So I don't know where they get that from. This is the first I've heard of that. I have no yeah. idea. If the listener knows – That'd Please be cool call to confirm. Yeah, yeah. I, was Roscoe no P. Idea. Coltrane in Abigail Meet the Invisible Man? Wow. That's, well, we um, do have a police chase scene. We do. <laughs> Maybe he was in there somewhere. The Abigail Costello cuckoo. <laughs> I, I'll, yes. I like to think he's in there. I like to think he's you in there. You know what? Why not? Why not? Why Wikipedia's not? always right, right? Yes. <laughs> it is we've kind of inadvertently gone through the the big standouts in the cast i think is there anybody else we need to mention it's a really good cast it's solid oh it's it's great yeah and i think it's it's one of their better films i mean i really like it it's not scary spooky you know like frankenstein or you know even as we get into like the mummy and some of those things but as you mentioned it's kind of a straight-up gangster plot they're fixing boxing matches you know it's a mystery but not so much as like Parlor Room Mystery as Meet the Killer was. This kind of combines the monster thing with the mystery. So I like that. There's a lot of elements that come into play here. And they're great. We even get the money-changing routine, which is thrown in there, too, uh, just for the old-timey burlesque effect. Yeah, I was going to ask you. That had to be something they'd done before because they were so smooth at it. Oh, yeah, a million times. Yeah, they've done I it loved a million it. times. Yeah, it was yeah. great. It's one of those things, you know, the, they used to do those routines all the time in their early films, all the burlesque routines that, that worked out so well. And they got away from that in the later movies because they became more straight-up scripts and character-driven pieces. And so they kind of got away from the burlesque. But it's nice to see those things dropped in every now and again. You know, we, there's no Andrew's sister song that comes out of nowhere like some of the <laughs> early films. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of like nice to see the boys do a little burlesque routine there. Yeah, and it's it's so smooth. It speaks to their physical comedy as yeah. well as the verbal because i've been listening to a lot of abbott and costello old-time radio yeah uh the orphan entertainment podcast played an episode of one of their old radio shows a few episodes back and that sent me on this search you know through archive.org and all these other resources trying to find more abbott and costello radio and their verbal back and forth was amazing yeah see that's the thing that people didn't think that they when, when they would went on the radio because, yeah, obviously it works in front of a live audience, but that was the big knock at them early when they started to go on the radio was this isn't going to work. These are all sight gags. we got to see these things. But, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. Their verbal back and forth is amazing, and it's just the wordplay that you see in some of these things. You know, the Hertz rental car, you know, and, and <laughs> all these different things that come into play. And it's like that is so perfect. I could listen to those things on a loop uh, over and over again. And so when you get into the movies, those things – transfer right to the movies as well so yeah physical comedy sight gags verbal everything these guys had it covered is it fair to use the word genius oh yeah 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 and that's a word that gets thrown around so often and it's overused not in this case because you think you know what what defines that word to me it's like kind of doing something not only better than anybody else but before anyone else did it you know, and so you've got these things. Yeah, some, a lot of the stuff came from burlesque, but they amplified it. 
they brought all these different things together and they were the perfect team because they had worked with other people before. It just wasn't the combination wasn't there when they got together. Oh, man, that's the, the chemical reaction that everyone wanted. Oh, yeah. And it's it was perfect. Part. So, yeah, absolute geniuses. Look at the length of their career and what they accomplished. Even, and we'll talk about this, how this movie kind of was a springboard into even bigger things uh, on television. How yeah. they went in through this. So, yeah, they just, they took it. And even, you know, like that roller coaster we talked about, they took it. And then, man, just, they kept coming back. They kept having these research. That's because of the brilliance of the comedy. Definitely. Well, okay, we kind of sidetracked a little bit, but I think that's fine because I, I think talking about Abbott and Costello, I could do that for hours, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and I would pick your brain because you know so much more than I do. And I, I, every time we talk about Abbott and Costello, I'm always writing down, okay, I got to see that movie because he see, referenced this movie that one. Is the time of their lives. You know, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's still on my list. I haven't gotten to it yet, but it's still on my list. Uh-huh, I need to make time. So many, there's so many movies out there. It's such a good one. It's you know? such a good one. Yeah, it's it's one of their best. But yeah, when we're talking about this one, yeah, obviously you mentioned you know boxer Tommy Nelson comes in, and you know we don't have the Frank Skinner uh, Frankenstein score proper. Uh, was it Joseph Gershenson? I think did the musical direction on this, but we get those elements of Frank Skinner's Frankenstein score dropped in. They they come in all the way through the monster movies. But that scene, yeah, where Tommy comes in, he's kind of hiding out from the police, and the description of him is on the radio. And Lou's looking at him, figuring it out. And we find out that uh, he was supposed to have thrown a fight. He didn't. Kind of like a little Daredevil action going on here, too, as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That kind of plays into it later on. Uh, yeah, with um, was it battling Frank Murdoch. Anyway, I digress <laughs> into the, the comic book zone. But, yeah, he was supposed to throw a fight. He didn't throw the fight. So the gangsters killed his manager and, you know, set him up for it. So now the police think he did it. Right. So he's got to disappear and it turns out he does so literally. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know if I caught it, if I blinked, if I was getting a cup of coffee at the time. What is the relationship between Tommy Nelson and the scientist who has the invisibility formula? Was it his girlfriend's uncle? He wasn't related to well, his fiance yeah. is Helen Gray. Right. And Helen's uncle is Dr. Philip Gray. And so okay. he's working on the, he's a scientist working on his serum, but you know, Claude Rain's character had left the serum for him. And so he's working. And so he knows that he's got this thing going on. You, you kind of buy into it a little bit. It's like, you know, Tommy knows that his fiance's uncle is a scientist, this mad scientist, and he has this formula to turn you invisible and to bring you back again. And so that's where we get the scene. They end up going, he ends up visiting her and they're in the scientific lab there. And he uses the formula on the guinea pig. And that's right out of, I think, Invisible Man Returns. They, they lifted a lot of those scenes. Right. Uh, just directly from that, just to cut costs. Um, sure. But it's effective. I mean, you get, you know, you see the the skeleton of the guinea pig, which is really cool. Great effects in this movie. Yeah, no, those shots did come from The Invisible Man Returns, which is the one that is voiced by Vincent Price. Yeah, yeah. So, again, a weird kind of invisible connection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, this is the time, this is what, the 40s, the 50s. Nobody's got a VCR. Nobody's watching these movies on TV. So, yeah, you can pull a shot from a movie from 10 years ago, and nobody's going to know they're any different. Oh, yeah. And it's, so. and you think about it. When, uh, let's see, Invisible Man Returns was 1940. Mm-hmm. We're 1951. I mean, we're a decade removed from that anyway. So, yeah, you're not going to remember, like, was that that shot? No, it's a guinea pig and you get to see the skeleton and it's cool. So, yeah, especially yep. for audiences then, man, that was awesome. Exactly. So the boxer goes invisible because he's going to figure out, and well, not necessarily figure out, but he's going to clear his name. 
Yeah, he's got to get away from the cops. I yeah. mean, they're like they're like right on him. So it's yeah. like you know they're they're tracking him down. He's got the coat pulled up and the hat, and he's trying to become invisible just with the clothing. But he when he's actually becomes invisible. Did you find it weird because they they do that whole trope of the uh, the invisible man stripping off the clothes, and yeah. then obviously they're invisible. Did you notice one thing he's missing though? <laughs> Underwear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, he's going commando. Yeah. What? <laughs> what in the world? Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of invisible nudity here. But yeah, he doesn't have any underwear on. So yeah, it's like, well, dude, yeah. can you put a pair of boxers? I don't know if it was against the code or something at the time to show like underwear, but it's like it would be underwear on an invisible person. So I don't know what that has to do with anything. No, I wonder if it was a code thing. Cause it, yeah, because it was shocking like in Psycho. Yeah. You know, when, when you know they showed a brazier, you know, and it was like, you could, oh, we can't do that. You know, and that was 10 years later. So it might have been like you just couldn't show underwear or something, but isn't it weirder if <laughs> there's like no underwear? I thought so. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I thought that was strange. But anyway, it's an Evan Costello film. What do you expect? That's so, true. That's um, true. But yeah, great effects overall. Uh, David S. Oh, Horsley, yeah. they, they had budgeted 50 grand for the effects. We mentioned some of them were lifted from the Invisible Man Returns, but Horsley had worked effects for Invisible Man Returns, Invisible Woman, and Invisible Agent. So the guy knew his invisible stuff at this point. Well, all the invisibility effects, they, they were all pretty smooth. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. you know, to a modern eye now, maybe we can see some of the equivalent of a chroma key kind of effect. There's, there's one moment, I believe, where Lou is doing something with a tablecloth and you can kind of see the wavy lines behind him just a touch. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, it's a movie from 1950, what, 51? 51. I think it still holds up really well. Oh, yeah, and the, the effects are not only on par, but probably exceed those of the original Invisible Man uh, back in 1933. And we should mention, uh, this is all based on H.G. Wells' original oh, novel, so if uh, anybody yeah, wants to know, yeah, go back. And I mean, I'm sure your audience knows that by now, but in case you don't, uh, go read the original novel by H.G. Wells. Uh, but yeah, some of those effects, <laughs> yeah, they're in the car, and he's changing, and the glove is transparent. So, oh, that yeah, was some cool. Of the, that was really good. Yeah, so oh. I mean, some of those things you get into, but yeah, overall, the effects are are really top notch. They set the stage for a lot of those things, whether it's at a dinner table or what you know, the smoking thing, which is obviously a reference to the Vincent Price at the end of Frankenstein, he's in the boat, pulls out the cigarette. Right. You get that whole thing. So yeah, a lot of cool stuff going on there. There is that scene at the restaurant, you were talking about the food and, and that scene where Tommy is between the two of them eating while they're ordering their dinner, picking up the celery and ordering the drinks and all that. That's a classic invisible man scene with the flavor of classic Abbott and Costello. And almost Lady and the Tramp thrown in. <laughs> There's a there lot of that. genres going on here. There is that. Now, when did Lady and the Tramp come out? Is that okay? I'm thinking mid-60s, maybe. Uh, Scott Morris would know off the top of his head. <laughs> yeah, you got me on the Disney stuff. But, yeah, Costello. Oh, 55. And, uh, 55. Oh, is it 55? Okay, okay, so the spaghetti gag. They may have gotten it from Evan Costello. Maybe Who knows? Well, man, I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, Arthur Franz and, and Luca Stella almost have a Lady in the Tramp moment <laughs> with the Lou's like kind of moving in on the spaghetti strand and it's floating in midair and then Lou's yes. and it, then it's like boink and it goes out. So that was pretty cool too. Of course, that's right after the scene with Lou, who we've already talked about being a better detective, not detecting that he's actually twirling up his napkin and his fork <laughs> instead of the spaghetti because the invisible man has moved this plate of spaghetti. I mean, this the humor again, the physical, the sight gags. Yeah, classic, classic Abbott and Costello. Yeah, and I thought it was cool, too, that Arthur Friends, because um, he only in the beginning and the end. That's it. You see him, then he's invisible. He doesn't need to be there. And he comes in at the end, he's visible again. So there's only a few scenes he's in. But he was there every day of shooting, feeding the boys the lines. 
Oh, so really? I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, he mentioned he says I was there every day. So I thought that was kind of cool because he didn't have to be. You could have anybody just feeding lines. Sure. But but the cadence, you know, actors talk about that all the time. Whether that, how much they appreciate that, even if somebody isn't in the scene with them, if they're there feeding lines off camera or something, how it just really helps them to get in the believability of the character. And I think that shows. I think that makes a difference, especially in this film. We talk about the dining scene, uh, the scene at the dining table. Well, I think that comes off because he's there helping them out. I think so, and especially in some of the more medium shots, especially like at the gym, mm-hmm. when Bud is talking to the invisible boxer, mm-hmm. he's talking off screen. Like his eye line is where the eye line would be if the guy was really standing there. Yeah, something and that I, they makes- could not accomplish in Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> so take that. Uh-huh. Modern film <laughs> special effects lovers, whatever. There are some of those. <laughs> I think so. Who are the Who are these people? I don't know. Jar Jar Binks yeah. people. I don't know. People love Star Wars Episode One, but yeah, they couldn't get the eyeline right there. But boy, they nailed it in this one. So I can't help but wonder or imagine Arthur France just sitting right outside a frame. Yeah, doing the lines that Bud has somebody to kind of react to. I would imagine that partnering with Lou and having the verbal sparring back and forth, you would need to have somebody on set, especially for the comedic bits, to bounce your lines off of whether he's invisible or not. So that's cool that he actually showed up every day. That's great. And he's got such a great voice anyway. He does. I love his voice. It's really perfect in this. And I think it just really lends to the believability of the film. It's a very good film. It really is. Like you said, everybody just kind of contributing to it really, really enhances those performances. So far, of the three Abbott and Costello Meet the Monsters movies that I've talked about with Joe Stuber here on the show, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein was my number one. But Abbott and Costello Meet the Invisible Man? Just underneath there, just barely a number two. I had a lot of fun with this movie. I think if it had maybe more than one monster, it'd be an even tie for me because I really enjoyed it. I thought the writing, the acting, the patter, the comedy, the direction, the performances, it's just solid. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that movie in episode 106 here in a couple of days. So come back for that. Got a couple of events that are coming up that I want to talk about before we sign off. First of all, we've talked about this already. Monster Bash is coming and I'm going to Monster Bash. I cannot wait. I've never been to Monster Bash, but I've heard tales, I've heard legends, I've heard stories, and now I get to go have some of these Monster Bash experiences for myself. Now, this is happening in Mars, Pennsylvania, June 20th through the 22nd. You can find out more about it over at MonsterBashNews.com. I'm traveling. I'm going from the Pacific Northwest to Pennsylvania for classic monster movies, a convention I cannot wait. I've been looking at the schedule every day, counting down to this event. This is going to be a blast. If anybody is going to be going to Monster Bash, look me up. I would love to meet you. I'd love to spend some time with you, maybe even put you on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio, because I'm going to have my recorder in my hand the entire time. Of course, you don't have to be on the show. If you don't want to, that's fine. But, uh, you know, the opportunity will be there if you want to be on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. Of course, this is all something that you're going to have to do when I'm not waiting in line to meet Julie Adams. And, well, we'll see how that goes. Now, when I get back from Monster Bash the following weekend here in the Portland, Oregon area at the Joy Cinema, Creature from the Black Lagoon. They're bringing it in. It's a 3D version of the movie Polarized. It's not red and blue. It's a polarized 3D experience with this film. And Monster Kid Radio is going to crash the theater for that. Now, it's playing all weekend, June 27th, 28th, 29th. 
We're going to crash the theater on the 28th. Showtimes have not been announced yet, so I don't know when it's going to happen. It'll happen sometime in the evening, I'm sure. But as soon as showtimes are announced, I'll make sure that I mention it on the Facebook event page. If you're a Facebook user, look for the event. Let us know you're going to be there. And again, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to hang out with you. I'd love to put you on a future episode, potentially. Well, how can you let me know if you're going to be at Monster Bash or at the Monster Kid Radio Crash? Well, you can drop me a line. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can leave me a voicemail by calling us at 503-479-5MKR, 503-479-5657. And finally, I just want to remind everybody that our Live 365 channel is alive and well. Head over to live365.com and search for Monster Kid Radio or follow the link over from monsterkidradio.net. You are going to get 24-7 nothing but music and sounds from horror, fantasy, and sci-fi films of the 30s through the 60s and movies that remind us of that era. There is a track from Ed Wood, for example, in there. Or The Monster Squad. This is nothing but soundtrack music with the occasional trailer. Even though I made up the playlist with my own music, I listen to it off and on during the day. So if you're a Live 365 user or want to be, look us up over there. Now, Live 365 does run ads. That's just how they do. It's a business thing. If you don't want to hear the ads, you can become a VIP member. If you are going to become a VIP member, do it while listening to Monster Kid Radio. Follow the links through the Monster Kid Radio Live 365 page because I get like two cents off of that and credit. And Live 365 sees that people are doing it through Monster Kid Radio. Opens up opportunities for Monster Kid Radio and gives us an opportunity to make the Live 365 channel even better. So head over there, check that out. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up because if I keep talking, I'm just going to bring up Monster Bash again and be like, man, it's only like nine days. And I'll start counting down, looking at the calendar, driving myself crazy. So I'm just going to sign off. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, the song Mobius Transformation belongs to the Tomorrow Men. It appears on their album It's About Time. You can find out more about them at tmensurf.com. And of course, if you buy the album from them, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody in a couple of days. (laughs) 